You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Money. Money has been um, in the headlines a lot lately. Right up to the last few minutes of 2012, our government was making what I'll call financial New Year's resolutions, uh, trying to keep us from going over the fiscal cliff, which is a good thing because I imagine going over a cliff is never a good thing, and uh, so we're thankful for that. Um, uh, essentially, all the talk about the fiscal cliff is about how to reduce our budget deficit. You know, we, you spend more than you make, you got a deficit. Apparently, a nation cannot live beyond its means indefinitely, right? And we have been doing so uh, for about a decade now. And so, you know, there's to, without oversimplifying, you know, there's two kind of schools of thoughts on how to reduce the deficit. One is to stop spending so much money, another is to get more money. And so, all the debate has been over kind of which method to use or, or some combination of the two to reduce the deficit. And our government has been making last-minute financial fiscal uh, resolutions, saying we're going to handle our, different, our money differently in 2013. All right? So we'll see about that. We'll see how that goes. Uh, you can actually tell a lot about what a nation values uh, by, how, by how it handles its money, who it gives its money to, where it gets its money, how it invests money entrusted to it, how it, you know, who it helps, uh, how it deals with debt. Tell a lot about what that nation values. Now, if that is true of a nation, uh, it is certainly true of an individual. Money actually is a key indicator in our life as to what we value, as to what we love. Uh, especially for us as Christians, we have to be really thoughtful about money because there is a fiscal uh, there are financial impl- implications to, to being a disciple of Jesus. Like, if you want to follow Jesus, it will necessarily affect your life economically. You read the New Testament, you see that Jesus teaches and talks about money all the time. His parables, all over his teaching, he's always talking about money. Why does he do that? It's not because he has some sort of, you know, Dave Ramsey, Jesus' eight steps to debt-free living thing going on the side. That's not why he's talking about money all the time. Actually, he talks about money a lot because money, maybe more than anything else, has a way of pointing beyond itself to something deeper. It has a way of pointing into our lives and showing kind of what we value, what we really love. We are, during the first few weeks of the new year, we're, we're using the, our time of preaching uh, to talk about some of the issues that people tend to make New Year's resolutions about. Right? If, you, if you look at any top ten list of typical New Year's resolutions, it's usually about things like our work, our money, our body, you know, diet, exercise, bad habits, uh, our time. I'm going to spend more time or less time doing this this year. Those are the things that you typically make resolutions about. They're real simple things, but they're very personal things that, that impact our daily lives. And I think that's why we make resolutions about those things. So during these first five weeks of the year, we want to ask... What does the gospel say about some of these things, like our work, our money, our time, our body? How should we approach those things? And how should our goals, our resolutions about those things, fit into the larger context of our discipleship to Jesus? And so last week, if you uh, weren't here, Jason Collins uh, had us look at work. Work is something that affects all of us. It's something that we are tempted to be stressed about. 
It's something that many of us want change in and we make goals in. And so if you weren't here, I want to encourage you to listen to the podcast because Jason's sermon uh, was excellent. He, he, he provides this wonderful framework through which to think about our work. And I think his stories, his expertise, his experience just enhance uh, that framework. So check out his sermon uh, on the podcast. But today we're talking about money. And I want to say this. Before we make goals, before we make resolutions about money, um, I think we've got to step way back, and I think we've got to look deeper into ourselves and maybe make some resolutions uh, that are more foundational in our life. Um, The problem with goals, even really good goals, is that goals can easily become our gods, the things that drive us, the things that control us. And I think that's even more true with money than maybe anything. And I think Jesus even says so. Let's look back at Matthew 6. If you have a Bible, turn there. The passage that Jake just read. Matthew chapter 6. This is the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which is arguably Jesus' most famous single body of teaching. Uh, And Jesus has been teaching radical stuff in the Sermon on the Mount. Like stuff that the world would think is just crazy and impossible. Like, love your enemies. Just seems counterintuitive, right? Like, have, you know, be sexually faithful even in in how you think, even in your thoughts, okay? Keep your word even when you don't make a promise, even when you don't make an oath or a vow. Just keep your word. If someone comes up to you and just wails on the right side of your face, turn turn to them the left side of your head and say, you know, take a shot there. It's radical stuff that he's teaching, stuff that nobody does, uh, stuff that seems impossible in the Sermon on the Mount. And so uh, discipleship, according to Jesus, sort of has a radical turn-upside-down uh, effect on our life. Now, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he starts talking about money and possessions. And it's no surprise that he, Jesus is going to say, if you're going to follow me, you have to think about your money and your possessions in a whole other way than what the world thinks about their money and their possessions. Okay, look at verse 19, Matthew 6, 19. Read these first three verses. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, There your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think the first thing that Jesus wants us to see is that money has a way of revealing what we love. Money has a way of pinpointing, pointing out what we love. So this you could say this is a sermon about money, but it's really about a sermon about what we really love in life. Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, where you put your wealth, that's where your heart is. Like, you want to know where your soul really rests, where your heart really is in love? Just to borrow a phrase from Tim Keller, follow the money trail. Follow the money. Where does the money trail lead in your life? Just look where you spend money the most easily, with the most joy, to the point you don't even notice it. It's just kind of flying out of your checking account. You're not even aware that it's gone. That's what you love. 
That's where your heart is most at rest. Now, let me give you an example. Whenever it comes time around our house to spend money on our house, like home improvement moments, you know, buy some new furniture, um, some flowers or something to make the yard look better, that's when I get real miserly, right? I mean, I come home and there'll be like some new pillows on the couch. And I'll be like, where did these come from? I mean, how much were these pillows, right? Because I don't love pillows. I don't need a bunch of pillows. If I'm at a, uh, however, if, if I'm at a college football game and I'm spending money at a college football game, it's real easy. How much are those corn dogs? $8? Give me three of those, all right? That sounds reasonable, right? Because I love the whole experience of college football. If I'm buying, uh, if I'm out to a nice meal or if I'm spending money on good coffee, I got no problem with the price. You know, $4 cappuccino, dollar per ounce, which that seems reasonable to me, right? <laughs> I love it because I love sharing good food, moments, good coffee with my, fi- my friends, with people I love, my family. I love it. And I was thinking about it this week. I was thinking, you know, what's at the root of that? What's really going on in my life? Um, and I think at the root is that I love entertainment. Like, I love relaxation. I love recreation. My heart longs for an experience. Like, I want to go to a movie. I want to go to a game. I want to go to a concert. I want to have a nice meal with ambiance and, you know, that's what I want. My heart longs for, for an experience because I think, I think it thinks that that's, I'm going to be satisfied there. I'm, I'm going to be filled up on the next vacation or the next great experience. And so I got no problem spending money on that stuff. My heart loves that stuff. What about you? Let's talk about you for a moment. Where do you spend money with the most ease? Like you don't even feel it. It's just flying out of your bank account. You didn't, weren't even aware of it. Where? And, and more importantly, why? Because you've got to look behind why you spend money so easily. What is your heart seeking? What is your heart resting in? What is your heart in love with that it's so easy to spend money on those things? Maybe it's uh, related to your appearance, how you look, what you wear. Maybe it's related to your home, where you live. It's just easy to spend money on your home or your car. What is it that your heart is resting in there? Could it be that your heart loves approval? Could it be that your heart loves the esteem of others so it's really easy for you to care about how you look or what you drive or what your house is like? Could it be that your heart has a need to measure up with others? I can't be driving like a 10-year-old Honda Accord when people I work with are driving a, you know, two-year-old Lexuses, right? Just, I need to keep up, and my heart feels that, maybe. Maybe it's entertainment for you, movies, concerts, buying music, eating out, vacations, what is it that your heart is looking for there? Because maybe that's a big part of your budget, and you're not even aware of it. It's like, oh, really? I spend $500 a month on entertainment? I wasn't aware of that. What's your heart looking for? Does your heart, like my heart, love experiences and seek satisfaction there? Maybe you say, well, I don't spend much money on myself. I'm a saver. Any chance I get, I'm throwing money into an IRA, throwing money into the stock market or bank account. I don't care what I look like. 
I don't care what I drive. I, I don't care what I eat. I'll just eat ramen, right? Because I'm a saver. So what is it, though? Why is it so easy for you to save money? Could it be that in your heart you believe that the more money you have in your name, the more secure you will be, the more in control you will be over how life goes? Does your heart love and long for security and control? Jesus is saying, you want want to know what you love? Just follow the money trail. Now, none of these things are bad things. Security, approval, esteem, satisfaction, none of those things are bad things. We just can't make those things our highest love, right? We can't make them ultimate things. We can't, and we can't go looking for those things outside of God because when we do, they will deliver the exact opposite. They will deliver insecurity. They will deliver dissatisfaction. They will deliver a feeling like we're not measuring up. They don't deliver on what they promise. Look back at verse 19 for a second. Jesus says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. When we make earthly things our treasure, our love, when our heart rests with those things, uh, with earthly things, then we're in this constant battle with decay. Frederick Dale Bruner Love this. He says, The moth is nature's corrosions eating away. The rust is time's corrosions eating away. And the thief is humanity's corrosions taking away. And all three together represent the insecurity of life lived for accumulation. So when we think about our lives, why do we feel anxious? Why do we feel insecure? Why do we feel angry? I feel angry sometimes. I'm kind of like, why is my stuff always breaking? Like, why is stuff not working out in my life? It's just misplaced treasure. Our heart is seeking rest in the wrong things, and money is actually the best indicator of what those things are. Just follow the money trail. It'll lead you to what your heart loves. It leads us to what our heart is, is seeking satisfaction and salvation in. Money actually reveals our gods. Little G. Here's the deal, though. Most of us are unaware of that. And the reason that most of us are unaware of that is because money has unusual power over us. It's the next thing I think Jesus wants us to see. It has unusual power over us. It has blinding power But it also has almost a spiritual religious power over us. And those two together, blinding spiritual religious power, not a good thing. Look at the next uh, couple verses. Matthew 6, verse 22. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? All right. Okay, Jesus. Uh, Not sure what you're talking about there. Isn't that an odd little illustration? Wait, I thought we were talking about money. Now you're talking about eyes? What's going on there? I mean, it's a simple illustration, right? If If your eye works, if you've got good eyes, 
you can see when you're, even in a dark room, like at night, when I get up, if I have to go to the bathroom, I, my eyes adjust. I can walk to the bathroom without tripping over the chair. Uh, I can see because I've got good eyes. If your eye is not good, if you're blind, then even if the light, the room is well lit, you're stumbling around and you can't see anything. Why is Jesus talking about this all of a sudden? Eyes, how we see things. I think it's because if we don't see money and possessions clearly, then our entire life will be darkness. It's that dramatic. I think that's true. Our our entire life will be corrupted, perverted, distorted if we don't see money and possessions, wealth, clearly. Uh, We need to be aware that money can have blinding power over us. Money has, a, has, has an ability to blind us to its influence such that we can't see ourselves in our sin accurately. Like a lot of our sin, we're well aware of. I know, what, I know if I steal something. Or I know when I'm lying or gossiping or lusting. But it's not the same with money sins. We're kind of blind to them, Right? I mean, I have never been in an accountability group. I've been in accountability groups, sit around with guys, pray for each other. What are you struggling with? Never been in an accountability group where the guys sit around and go, y'all pray for me because I'm really struggling with greed, right? Y'all pray for me because I am, man, I'm struggling with materialism. Never been in a group where guys say, talk about that kind of sin. Most guys know that it's wrong to look at pornography with lust in their hearts, but what about looking at the stock market with anxiety in my heart? Well, that's just normal, right? That's okay, right? It's just the stock market. It's part of my job. You know, it's, my money's there. Of course I'm anxious. The Bible calls the love of money the root of all kinds of evil. The Bible also calls the Pharisees, who are usually like the bad guys in the story, calls them lovers of money. Like, apparently, we don't, God doesn't think we should be lovers of money because the, that's what the Pharisees were. But I think if, if, if myself or if you were a lover of money, you might not even know it. None of us thinks we're greedy, do we? Like, I don't think of myself as greedy. I don't think of myself as materialistic. And I think one of the reasons why is because we're always comparing ourselves and there's lots of people to compare ourselves to. Right? All of us are friends with, we rub shoulders with, people who have more than we do, who spend more money on themselves than they do, have nicer stuff than us, more money than us. We can always point to someone who does, right? And so I look at my life and I think, well, compared to those guys, I need, I need more stuff. I mean, I need to improve my situation. I need to upgrade. And there's always upgrades in every product that we have, right? So of course we don't think we're greedy. I mean, I suffered for like three months before I upgraded to the iPhone 5, okay? I waited three whole months, right? So, of course, I'm incredibly self-controlled with money, right? I'm not greedy. It's blindness. Money blinds us. So here's a thought. Do you ever ask yourself this question? Am I spending too much money on fill-in-the-blank, entertainment, Clothes, my house, vacations, meals, my appearance, whatever. 
Am I spending too much money on? Have you ever asked yourself this question? Should I be giving more of my money away? Do you have anyone else in your life who, who can ask you those questions that's not your spouse? Your spouse can ask you those questions too. But do you have anyone else that can kind of dig into your life a little bit, uh, into your finances? And, I, you know, we hear that and we think, well, no. I mean, that's, it's my money. It's my finances. That's private. I grew up, you know, it's private. We don't talk about those things. Really? <laughs> Jesus wants to talk about those things. He wants to talk about them all the time. Why don't we take an honest look at our life in that way? I think the reason is because most of us think we're doing fine in that area. I'm not greedy. Our eyes darkened. We don't want to look. Besides that, we like what money's doing for us, and we think, well, if anything, I need more money in my life. Our eyes darkened. We don't want to look. Money has blinding power. And I want to ask you this. Are you open to the possibility that you are somehow blind to money's influence in your life? Just the possibility. So would you, and I'm for real about this, would you get with a friend or a couple of friends who walk with Jesus and just kick this around a little bit? Just say, hey, here's my budget. Here's what I'm spending my money on. Here's what I spend on myself. Here's what I give. What do y'all think about that? Would you do that? I think that kind of vulnerability would maybe lead to more clarity of vision in our walk with Jesus. Money, though, also can have a religious or spiritual power in our life. Look at verse, it's not just only blinding, but it's also, it's got a religious nature to it. Look at verse 24, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is religious language. Uh, This is the language of lordship. Jesus is saying that either God is your Lord or money is your Lord. The word he uses is mammon. Mammon just means stuff, possessions. It's not just money. It's property. It's it's all that we have. Again, I love love how Frederick Dale Bruner translates that last part of the verse. Bruner says... You cannot possibly serve God and gain. You can't serve God and gain. And I love the word gain because it's, it's more encompassing than just money. Because gain is the pursuit of success, money, things for the purpose of self-elevation, self-advancement, self-promotion, self-esteem, or self-protection. That's what gain is. And we're all tempted to bow at the altar of gain. Like we feel the temptation almost daily to bow to the altar of gain. And you don't have to be rich for this to be true of you. Some of you are sitting there thinking, well, I got like $14 in my checking account, right? So obviously I am not living for gain, right? Not true. The word mammon does not mean wealthy or affluent. All that mammon means is stuff. No matter how much stuff it is, little stuff or a lot of stuff. You cannot have very much money and be living for gain. And the question is, what grips you? What controls you? What pushes you along? Jesus is saying, gain promises freedom, but it enslaves us. 
Mammon becomes a master to us. And gain is not a, is not a good master because gain is always whispering in your ear. You need a little bit more. Yeah, that's not enough. You need a little bit more. You need a little bit more. And I love what Arthur uh, Schopenhauer once said. He said, wealth is like seawater. You know, the more you drink, the thirstier you get. And so Jesus said, hey, it promises you freedom. It's just going to enslave you. And what he says, the way he ends, he says, we cannot serve God and gain. He says it's impossible. Not improbable. Like, it is impossible. It is an either-or. It's either God or gain. And we think, well, no, 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 I I, I could probably do it. Yeah, I'm I'm committed in my relationship with the Lord, and I'm committed, you know, to making money. You know, I, I can do it. When Jesus says impossible, we ought not to say, oh, possible. <laughs> you know? So let me ask you this. Do you believe that money can have this kind of power over you? Are you even open to the fact that it could? I'm not talking about if you have a bunch of money. Just You could be real poor, but money could have this kind of power over you. Are you watchful? Are you alert? The spiritual power... The religious power behind money comes from the fact that we're blind to its influence. We don't think we're greedy for gain. That's something other people struggle with. And so again, let me ask you, would you be willing sometime soon to get with a friend or a couple of friends who walk with Jesus and kick this around a bit and just say, hey, ask me some questions. You know, here's where I may be struggling with success and striving after gain. Where are you feeling the tug? Where are you feeling the temptation in your life? Would you do that? So if money reveals what we love, if money has unusual power over us, then what do we got to do to be free from the love and the power of money? I want to say this. We can't just make a couple of New Year's resolutions about our money. Again, we have to step back and make a much more foundational resolution about our life. And Jesus is very clear on this. If you want to be free uh, from the power of money in your life, then you've got to make the king and his kingdom your highest treasure. You've got to make the king and, and his kingdom your highest love. And what Jesus is talking about in the Gospels is a redirection of our loves. A redirection of that which captivates us, controls us, what we give our life to. I want you to listen to his words. It's from Matthew 13. Jesus is teaching and he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and he covered it up. And then in his joy, the man went and he sold everything that he had and he bought that field. Because that's where the treasure was. So this guy sold, gave up on gain so that he could buy this field. The kingdom. It's a redirection of his love. It's a redirection of his treasures. Back in Matthew 6, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. What, what things? Well, all these things that you're buying, pursuing with money. All these things that you're attempting to build your life upon. Security, significance, satisfaction, approval, control. 
Jesus is saying, don't seek those things. Seek the kingdom of God, and God will take care of the other stuff. It's a redirection of love. It's a redirection of that which we treasure, that which we pursue. I love these two verses in 1 Peter. Listen to this. God's God's speaking through Peter. He says, see, I lay a stone in Zion. It's a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him, because he's talking about Jesus, will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone, who is Jesus, is precious. To you who believe, this stone is precious. This stone is invaluable. This stone is priceless. This stone is the highest treasure. Like, Do you see Jesus like that as your highest treasure? The one that you love? Not just do you believe in Jesus. Do you treasure him? Do you love him? Because you can't be, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve Jesus and money. You either love the one and hate the other. You des- you'll despise the one and be devoted to the other. And that word devoted that Jesus uses, it means to cleave to, like spouses do. Like lifelong lovers cleave to one another. They're devoted to one another. Do you love Jesus like that? We're just like, I'm clinging to him because I love him. He's my lifelong lover. I'm devoted to him. Before we make any New Year's resolutions about money, I think we first have to resolve to redirect our love to Jesus, to the king, to his kingdom. He's our treasure. He's the currency on which we build our life. And he's the only currency that will never, that can never be devalued. There's great security in that. Here's the good news. When we begin to see Jesus as our treasure, um, as our highest love, then money just becomes money. Yeah, it's just money. Yeah, it's just at that point, it was just we're not clinging to it. We're giving it away. We're open-handed with it because all the money belongs to God anyway, and we begin to see ourselves as just managers of it, stewards of it. When the king and his kingdom become our highest treasure or our highest value, then we begin to love the things that the king loves, right? And we begin to direct money towards those things that he loves. So maybe we, we start to spend our money on the poor. Or we start to spend our money to care for widows and orphans. Or we start to give more money to missions or the preaching of the gospel through his church or blessing others or serving our neighbors. And we're just kind of like, it's not our money anyway because our highest love is the king and his kingdom. That's where our heart is now. And because our heart's there, our money's there, and we're just, we're not, we can't even keep up with it. We don't even notice that we're spending our money on the things that the king values. It's just flying out of our bank account. By the way, this is why the New Testament teaching on giving is not limited to the tithe, to giving 10%. The New Testament teaching uh, on giving is really primarily focused on generosity. It's giving freely, openly, and generously. That's the teaching, right? We're merely money managers managing God's money. Can you imagine if you were employed as a money manager, you worked for a financial management firm, and a client came in and said, hey, 
Uh, I'm entrusting my money to you guys. I'm going to give you 100% of my money. You can keep 90% of it, right? I just, and all the dividends, you keep the rest. I just want 10% back. <laughs> That's a pretty good deal. It's pretty awesome to manage God's money. You get 90% or more. You know, so no matter what you give, if you give beyond the tithe, you're still getting a lot of God's money that's benefiting you personally. But the deal is, that money doesn't control you anyway. God does. And so as Christians, we ought to be looking for opportunities to give God's money away for his glory and not our own. Here is the gospel. Don't miss this. I'm going to end with this. This is the good news. It is possible to make Jesus your treasure. It might feel impossible to you, but it is possible to make Jesus your highest love. And the reason you can make him your treasure is because he first made you his treasure. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Why did he leave behind all the treasures of heaven and enter into poverty? Why did he do that? He was born into poverty, much like our friend Saul in Guatemala this week. He was raised in that kind of poverty. He died in poverty. He was naked when he died on the cross, which is just a stark reminder of his poverty. Like the only stuff he had that we know of was his garments, which were being divided by the soldiers at the foot of the cross. He was buried in poverty. He was raised, buried and raised in a, in a borrowed tomb. Why did Jesus do that? Why was he born, lived, died, buried, resurrected in poverty? So that we might become rich. Because he treasured us. He made us his treasure. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How do you make Jesus your treasure? You believe the gospel. The good news that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you have become a wealthy son or daughter of God. And you marvel at that. And then you keep believing that gospel, and you keep marveling at that. And you keep preaching that gospel to yourself, and you keep marveling at that gospel. And you keep working the gospel into every crevice, nook, and cranny of your life, and you keep marveling at it. And before long, you won't be able to help but making Jesus your highest treasure, your highest love, because you'll be so blown away by his love for you. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.